Our first day officially on the start as Mackling and McGarry. Loren McNabb's last day was on Friday. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to that podcast because it was a great day. It was an emotional day. We shared lots of laughs, lots of tears. But today on the start, we headed to Alberta to talk about the electric grid after the problems they had over the weekend as they dealt with extreme cold. Also today, we talked about the recent wave of Indigenous representation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We spoke with local Indigenous author David A. Robertson. And we asked you, what is something that you like to re-watch at a specific time of year? Because for me, I revisited a movie I like to watch every January. It's always got to be in January on a cold night. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling. We are Mackling and McGarry, and this is the Monday, January 15th podcast for The Start. Good morning. It is Mackling and McGarry. Something's, uh, something's a little different today. Something missing. Some, like if a Crash Test Dummies was singing the song, like that, mm, <laughs> like that, that would be just, mm, just a little shorter. That mm, <laughs> <laughs> would be a third shorter every. Mm. Yes, that's right. Friday. If you missed it on Friday, there was a pretty big announcement at six thirty. If you missed it, it, was an emotional day, and we would invite you to either go to the audio vault at cjob.com or. Subscribe, check out the podcast to get caught up. But Loren McNabb has left the start. She has not left the radio station, though, Greg. She's not left the building. She's not pulling an Elvis. But uh, she is uh, transitioning to a position within our organization, which will mean she still will make appearances on the air. She will still be creating incredible journalism stories that are thought-provoking, insightful, and uh, she'll be holding us to account. (laughs) For the things that we do on a whole other level. We've been joking a little bit that she, in essence, has become our boss. And I haven't looked at the org chart yet, Brett. Yeah. It hasn't officially been printed or posted anywhere. But the more I think about it, I think that's sort of how it comes down. <laughs> she's our she's our superior now. We'll have to come up with a, with a nickname. We, we, she would suggest, because we had a listener weigh in. I can't remember what we were talking about, but they... That we the the nickname for her was something like Diablo Fuego or something like that because it, it was a play on how she was once uh, one of her past nicknames was the Red Storm right and uh, I was looking looking that up and since she's the executive producer okay for six eighty CJOB how about um, La Productora en Fuego. <laughs> Wow, you really spent some time with your uh, <laughs> English-Spanish dictionary this weekend, Brett. <laughs> Sounds like you're very productive. <laughs> I did not, did not do much over the weekend, but I did look that up. So uh, Loren's off on a new adventure, and we're, we're going to be looking for a way to, to incorporate her on a regular basis outside of the, the pieces that she's going to be put to, putting together. Because she did say she's going to miss... The, the nonsense, the, you know, just the laughs, the fun, the joy. So we, I think we need to find a way to just bring her on so we can giggle from time to time. She'll have to find joy in her life elsewhere. It's another different source for that. Uh, what's the, uh, I don't know if it's the over under, or like what, what time do you think we get the first text message from Loren weighing in on something that we've either said incorrectly <laughs> or, or uh, some point of view that she's dying to get across, maybe during an interview, ask so-and-so this. At uh, well, what time? I'm, I'm going to say before 8 o'clock this yeah. morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had never even thought about that. <laughs> now that you mention it, and just uh, to take you behind the curtain here, we have uh, a Google Doc or Google Sheet where we do our daily schedules and our daily lineups. And maybe we need to create a new one so she doesn't have access anymore. Just with a brand new password and <laughs> yeah. just kind of keep her out all now. Nah, you know what? That that would be that would be self-destructive. That would be that would be silly of us to shut her out of the process because she's been such a she's so important part of our, our program. We're, we're already missing Loren this morning. Eve wants to know if the show is now MM and us. M, M, and us? And us, like us, like the listeners. M, M, and us. Well, 
MM and U. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the overarching sentiment was who's going to keep these two chuckleheads in line uh, while, with, now that Loren's out. But she will keep us in line and you will hear from her uh, throughout, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I started a thought there and I didn't know how to finish it. I'm still kind of discombobulated and decompressing from Friday. But you will hear from her. She is not leaving the radio station. And again, go to the C- go to cjob.com, check out the podcast from Friday. It was a good day. Not such a good day for the Jets on Saturday. It was not a two nothing loss at the hands of the Philadelphia Flyers, although by all accounts Filipino night was a Huge hit, the Filipino heritage on fine display on television and, of course, in the building. So congratulations to the Jets and the folks that participated in that. But, yeah, the Jets' win streak uh, comes to a halt at eight games. Their point streak, 13 games. I'm not going to point the finger at the 13 and the unlucky number number 13, but I had a couple of people uh, point out, oh yeah, of course, thirteen is when it uh, when it uh, comes to a halt. I'm going to blame my sister-in-law who went to the game on Saturday. That's who I'm going to blame. Really? Yeah, just because I can. <laughs> I got a text message from my brother-in-law says, oh, "Guess who's at the game tonight?" I go, "Yeah, of course." Of course, because he's been one of these people that's been sitting on the fence, right? Wants the Jets to prove it to him that they're worthy of his time and his money. And I said, yeah, of course. He said, well, I already told her to leave in reference to my sister-in-law. So Was she um, a bad luck charm? I think I I don't think they win a ton when she goes to the games. No, I'll, I'll get the official record later on today. So in the meantime, in lieu of any empirical evidence, I'm laying the blame squarely at the feet of my of my sister in law. But the uh, the the score is two nothing. So what's that streak at now in terms of thirty two the- games? The Jets have uh, given up three or fewer goals. It's a, an incredible streak. It's the second longest active or second longest streak period uh, in in modern times in the National Hockey League. I think they're coming up on the Minnesota Wild from, I think it's from 24, uh, 2014, 2015. I have to double check that. I know Ra- Ross Levitan's in for Cam Poitras, who's away for a couple of weeks. Uh, he's got some numbers. He's been doing some digging on that record and just how impressive it is. So we'll see if he uh, comes up with, with any historical fact on that uh, as it pertains to that Impressive record. So the Jets back on the ice tomorrow night against the Islanders. It is Mackling and McGarry. Congratulations to Darren Walker, who won the tickets for the Mid-Canada RV and boat sale happening at RBC Convention Center February 1st to the 4th. And we've got tickets to give away for that all week long. But today we have tickets to give away for tomorrow's Winnipeg Jets game against the Islanders. And we want to ask you, is there something you like to watch, but only at a, like a, a movie or a show that you like to revisit, but only at a specific time of year? And I watched one over the weekend that's kind of become an annual tradition. And it's only at this time of year, Liam Neeson stars in The Grey. The play went dark. Get some pieces. We need a fire. Then we find food. If we don't move, I'm work now. We're all freeze to death. You'll find us. They gotta know that plane went off the radar. Nobody's gonna find us. Not here. We figure out what way is south, and we start walking. This will be one of those wild stories you tell at a party. <laughs> so if you've never seen The Grey, you can find it on Netflix. It's a great movie from 2012. It's about these Alaskan oil drillers. They're on their plane on the way back to Anchorage. The plane goes down in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness, and they have to try, try to survive, and they're being chased by a pack of wolves, and I know that that's not what how wolves would actually act. It's meant to be more metaphorical, and it's a great movie. And it's a it's a beautiful, a shockingly beautiful film. I did not anticipate when I first watched it how like touching and inspiring it would be. Um, but I like to watch it only in January. It came out in January, and I like to you know pick a cold night in January. That's what we got over the weekend under an extreme cold warning. And I thought it's gray time. And because uh, it's a it's a it's a movie that that captures the beauty, like the cinematography in that movie is crazy nice, but it also captures winter's fury. So it felt like an apropos weekend. Are we allowed to be friends if I can admit here 
looking into your eyes that I have not seen this movie. Of course. We're, yeah. I've not seen <laughs> this movie. I'm one of the couch potatoes and I, there, I can't, the list of movies I have not seen. People are like, how have you not seen that? You're one of the couch potatoes. Like, there's only so much time. Okay. I'm writing this down though. But yes, it's a good. So what's one that you like to watch? Do I have at to wear a, a coat? Time? <laughs> <laughs> well, it it might make you want to watch a coat. They, they, those, those boys endured some pretty awful conditions. They, they filmed it in Smithers. In uh, B- that's BC, right? Smithers, BC, yeah. sure. And it looked brutal. Uh, so let's go around the horn here. Ross Levitan in for Cam Poitras. Uh, he, he came in and said, I'm cliche today. What do you got for us? Yeah, well, Noah, first off, as the co host of the Couch Potatoes, I was listening this weekend. This is right up your alley. Whereas for me, like if I was giving an honest answer, I'd say every January I watch NFL football, every April I watch NHL hockey <laughs> in the playoffs. Like that, that's just what I love to do in my free time. Like you said, there's only so much time that we have to go around, but um, the holiday season's always, you know, family time, movies, that sort of thing. So as cliche as it sounds, we always get around. We watch Love Actually. We watch The Holiday and uh, have some hot chocolate and, uh, yeah, become a yearly tradition. That's cool. Yeah. That's so and, pure. And, and good sweet. movies. Great they movies. are. Timeless. Sometimes. Love Actually. You know, we give Kelly Moore a hard time because whenever we spoke movies with Kelly on this segment over the years, that was the movie. You could just write it down, <laughs> just pencil it in, pull the clip for Kelly. He would he would inevitably find a way to bring love actually into the conversation. It's one of my favorite movies from the last decade, though. So like when the decade that it came out, it was in my top 10. I love that movie. And lots of lots of different movies since have tried to do that, like multiple storylines. I actually, mm-hmm. speaking of times of year, I watched the the movie New Year's Eve on New Year's oh. Eve this year. It, it, no, confusing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know that movie. I'll have yeah, to look it up. Yeah, I know it. And you know what? There's a lot of star power in it. There's there a lot of star power, but it does not match. Like you know, the whole idea of the sum is. Greater than the the pole or some parts. greater parts, however that saying goes, it doesn't work in that movie. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Well, I'm going with summertime because um, don't want to think about the cold right now, and I don't think I watch anything specific in the winter. More so, just like comfort movies. But in the summer, um, it became a family tradition. Uh, Grown Ups one and two, more so <laughs> number one. I, I mean, they're just comedies. Adam Sandler and company. Um, yeah, they're based on summer. And the second one, it was kind of a way to kick off uh, summer vacation because it's all taking place in like the last day of school for the kids. So those were fun uh, to watch all together. I so entered summer. I still haven't watched those. So you I'll know, oh, there's two for you. There you go. <laughs> Mackling, what you got? Well, you know, I like to go to California in any way, shape or form. So why not go uh, virtually? Everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. <laughs> Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> it's a time machine. It's an aircraft. It takes you away to a different place, you know, sunny California, backyard swimming pools, all the things that go with the backyard swimming pool. And um, it wasn't necessarily my favorite time of my life, high school, but I was in junior high school when this movie came out. And I've got much fonder memories of high school and my friends in that era. Uh-huh. So it uh, it's a it's a nice it's a nice uh, time traveling piece and uh, it's, it's a great movie. Tons Brett, of fun. Brett, Brett do you what? think he sees himself in Jeff Spicoli? <laughs> um, well, no. No. <laughs> no, no. Spicoli. Brad, more, I'm a bro, more a Brad Hamilton. What time guy. of year do you like to watch Fast Times? Uh, I will watch it whenever I can, but I love to watch it in the winter. Just like I say, to get a virtual holiday. Okay. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. And then Forte. Every late September, I like to watch. <laughs> yep. Hello. Hello. You know what it is. Don't be your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Just some scary movie. You like scary movies. All right, so that's uh, Scream. I have to watch it every late September. That starts off the spooky season, you know, October coming up, and uh, that's my favorite time of year. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is no longer. 
A co-host of The Start, Loren McNabb has taken on a new role, a leadership role at 680 CJOB. She begins her journey as executive producer for the station today. Before we introduce our next guest, we've got some trivia here that uh, the last conversation we had about movies or shows that you like to watch only at a specific time of year, and I mentioned mine was The Grey. That's what I watched over the weekend. And that's uh, Liam Neeson was in that with a whole bunch of wolves. And who would have imagined, unless you already knew, that Winnipeg has a rock-solid connection to the movie The Grey. So we will tell you all about it in our next segment. But right now we want to talk about how temperatures, which touched both sides of minus 40, and how they've been putting a strain on Alberta's power grid over the past several days. An emergency alert Saturday evening from the Alberta Electric System Operator urged Albertans to reduce electricity usage to essentials, only to prevent rotating outages. The alert came a few hours after AESO declared a grid alert due to extreme cold, high demand, and low imports. And on Sunday afternoon, they declared another grid alert for the third day in a row, asking Albertans to reduce electricity to essential use only. So, Brett, what we are learning is how much work is going to be needed to adapt to future demand, this according to Alberta's utilities minister and electricity experts. We've reached out to one such expert who joins us now on the start. Electricity Canada, formerly known as the Canadian Electricity Association, is the national forum and voice of the evolving and innovative electricity business here in our country. CEO of Electricity Canada is Francis Bailey. Francis, thank you so much for your time on this Monday morning. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. So fair to say that Alberta's power demand moved about as close as you can get to reaching its maximum on Saturday? Yeah, well, uh, and and we've seen these kinds of alerts elsewhere and uh, at other times of the year. Certainly the the weekend was a difficult one in Alberta, but we saw similar alerts, for example, last summer in Ontario due to extreme heat. So when we hit extreme cold and extreme heat in different places across, really across North America, we see these uh, these alerts that, uh, that that have been announced. The good news is the system operated the way uh, it was designed to operate in Alberta, uh, and consumers responded in such as uh, a manner that we didn't see, uh, you know, rotating blackouts. So, in the end, it was good news, but it does signal uh, that you know there are certainly challenges ahead as we see increased electrification of the economy. All right, so we're just having a bit of a hard time hearing you. You're sort of fading in and out. I don't know if it's the phone that just uh, needs to be a bit closer uh, or maybe it's the signal, but uh, we'll see if we can work through that. But um, there are many voices pointing the finger, Francis, at the apparent lack of wind and solar availability in Alberta this weekend. Some prairie politicians and others are criticizing Ottawa's green energy plans, saying that this shows that renewables aren't reliable. So what say you on that? Well, the, you know, the, the future is going to be a combination of sort of an all-of-the-above approach. No, we absolutely can't rely exclusively on renewables, but we can't rely exclusively on any single uh, type of generation. But clearly, when we have uh, extreme cold and extreme heat, uh, those tend to coincide with times when there isn't significant amounts of wind blowing. Uh, so we need to make sure that, you know, when we bring new resources on uh, in the future, that we're balancing them so that we've got the kinds of resources that are going to be reliable, uh, in addition to the kinds of resources that are, that are going to give us the environmental attributes that we need. So it's a bit of a balancing act, certainly, um, but it is you know, part and parcel of the conversation that we're having about what that future uh, electricity grid is going to need to look like. And I guess the other side of that as well is, Francis, is people are asking the question, well, could you imagine if a higher proportion, larger percentage of our vehicles were EV and the strain that that would put on the power grid? So that's got to be part of the the conversation. I know not just today. I, I sense it's been part of the discussion for some time now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when when we look at some of the projections of what does the world in 2050 look like if we're heading towards a net zero um, economy wide uh, um, situation, then, you know, we're looking at something in the order of doubling or tripling uh, the demand for electricity out to 2050. So that is absolutely uh, signaling a very significant increase in the amount of electricity we're going to going to require. And so that's why we've been advocating for an all-of-the-above approach. We absolutely need more renewables, but we need more high and we need more nuclear, and we're going to need more 
uh, natural gas with carbon capture attached to it. We're going to need more generate more uh, transmission, uh, and we're going to need more customer solutions as well. All of those are, are absolutely going to have to come into play. So there's no silver bullet here, um, but it, it's going to require uh, a great deal of collaboration between different levels of government to ensure that we're building that system for the future. How integrated is, or perhaps is not, the the power grid in Canada across Canada? Well, it all depends on what uh, you know what province you're in. Some provinces have uh, significantly more interconnections, and that is an important part of this, right? Uh, Alberta was able to take advantage of uh, connections into Saskatchewan and into British Columbia uh, to be able to meet some of their needs, but there is limited capacity between those provinces. There are other provinces, um, you know, example uh, of Ontario and Quebec, where there's a, a great deal more interconnection and therefore more more opportunities when you know, extreme weather events occur uh, to be able to draw on other regions. So, yeah, increased uh, transfer capability, increased transmission is, is also going to be part of that future. All right, Francis, we have to let you go on that note, but we appreciate the access, and uh, this is not, I, I don't think, the, the end of this discussion. In fact, a certain part of it may be just beginning, and we appreciate your voice this morning. Always, always available to you. Take care. Francis Bradley is CEO of Electricity Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And you know, just looking at the Environment Canada weather warning map, almost actually all of Alberta is under some form of a weather warning, as is most of Saskatchewan, much of Manitoba, parts of Ontario, most of BC, and just scattered through across the country. We still have continued weather warnings and watches and various special weather statements. Just a brutal Tough week in Canada. It is Mackling and McGarry. We are asking you this morning, is there a show or a movie that you like to rewatch at a specific time of year? We should maybe add a caveat. If we can sort of keep Christmas off the radar, that would, I think, you know... I've, Chris, I've sort of put Christmas in my rearview mirror, but uh, Ross Levitan mentioned Love Actually and the, the holiday were uh, the things that he and his family enjoy. But yeah, if if, if you want to go Christmas, that's fine, but uh, we, we would prefer to sort of see if there's something, see what else you got. And for me, it's The Grey, a movie with Liam Neeson, and it came out in 2012. It's about these guys who crash. Their plane crashes in the middle of nowhere in Alaska, and they're trying to survive the elements. They're trying to survive this pack of wolves that's tracking them down. And um, I had no idea, Greg, about this connection from the Gray to Winnipeg. Some of our listeners are in the know. So received this text. The wolves in the Gray are at our Cinnaboyne Park Zoo. And we happen to have a direct line to somebody who would know. In fact, at almost the exact same time, we received the first text, Brett. In fact, it might have come in before what the first text in terms of the way I read them. Uh, the gray is how it goes. Bittersweet is the wolfies who acted in that have grown old and many have now passed away. They retired from their film career and moved here back when the Journey to Churchill exhibit opened. They used to live beside the musk oxen journey, but a couple years ago, a new exhibit was built specifically for them with heated rocks to lay on and everything. That's wild. So if you didn't know, you didn't know. I had no clue about that. So 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Jets tickets for tomorrow night's game against New York Islanders. Tell us about a movie or show you like to rewatch at a specific time of year and tell us why. We'll pick our winner at 9.15. It is Mackling and McGarry. No more McNabb. Loren McNabb's last day as co-host of The Start was on Friday. She has taken on a new role, a leadership role, as executive producer for 680 CJOB. And when we recapped... That announcement this morning, listener Richard J. says, I let out an audible, no! I'm just kind of imagining like Darth Vader, no! When I found the news that I had missed Friday's show, although I had heard you guys had an announcement, I will very much miss the Triple M, but I'm grateful that the show lives on. And uh, we were having a little bit of a side bet here as to when we would first hear from Loren. Yeah. I said, before 8 o'clock for sure. 7.15. <laughs> Hi, Loren. <laughs> Good morning.
morning, Loren. <laughs> uh, what are we doing at 8.05, GMAC? 8.05, uh, Steve Lambert will join us. We'll talk about goings-on with the Provincial Conservative Party. They had their annual weekend uh yeah, they had their annual meeting. It took place over the weekend. And Heather Stephenson, um, today is her last day as leader of the Provincial Conservatives. We will find out who will become the interim leader in the next several days. Steve brings us also some other insight and other conversations that were in and around that meeting uh, over the weekend here in the city of Winnipeg. And at 8.35, Jim Toza is going to join us to talk weekend sports and to tell you about something special that's happening on his show this afternoon at 2 o'clock in conjunction with Blue Monday. And then at 9.35, we're going to speak with Indigenous author David A. Robertson about all the sudden Indigenous representation in the MCU over the last three weeks. Lots of cool stuff happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But right now, I don't know about you, but one of the last things I like to think about Anytime is tax season. However, while it's not time to worry about doing your taxes just yet, I don't think it can hurt to be a little proactive and give you a heads up about some of the changes that can help you when the time does come to file your taxes. Jerry Vitaratos is UFILE's national tax specialist and joins us live now on The Start. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we got a couple of things we want to cover here. New benefits, new deductions, some other changes in store. So why don't we start with the benefits? What are some of the new benefits this year? So uh, one of the new benefits, it's not exactly a new benefit per se. It's just a, a different way of uh, delivering it. It's, it's basically a tax credit that's on your tax return uh, that the government uh, will now prepay you. Essentially, they'll pay it to you in advance, and that's the Canada Workers' Benefit. So the government calls it a benefit because now they're paying it quarterly in advance. However, ordinarily, this is a tax credit that is claimed on your tax return, and it's a refundable credit, meaning they give it to you in cash, essentially, regardless of whether you're taxable or not. And, and the Canada Workers' Benefit is targeted towards uh, wor- lower-income workers. So, so basically, take somebody who's just finished school and is getting into the job market or somebody who is getting off of, for example, uh, welfare and is getting into the job market now. Uh, the government gives a little extra kick to your tax return by giving you a, a refundable credit uh, based on your employment income. What the government decided to do last year is to prepay half of that credit as a benefit, kind of like, very similar to the GST credit, so they, they pay it to you qu- uh, quarterly. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, whoever, was, uh, whoever was eligible for the credit last year has already received the credit uh, this year in advance, and then they simply declare it on the tax return to see if they got too much uh, or uh, too little. Uh, from there, uh, we've got essentially uh, other credits uh, and deductions. The big one is what we call the tax-free first home savings account. That was the, what, what dominated the headlines last year, and for good reason. Uh, knowing you know, how, uh, how hot the market had gotten during uh, the pandemic, the government has created this tax-sheltered account uh, that will allow you uh, to save money in a tax-sheltered account, similar in vain with the uh, RSP and the TFSA, uh, where uh, you you could allow this money to grow uh, in, a, in a tax sheltered account, and you could use it for the down payment of what the government considers as your first home. Meaning that uh, this is uh, uh, meaning that you have not lived in a home that you owned in the last four years. Talk about what's eligible to be purchased and invested in and within that account, Jerry. Is it the it's the same sort of products that I can invest in, say in an RESP, or you mentioned the RRSP and and other uh, tax free saving account uh, uh, products. Yes, it's, you you got to you got to write on. Essentially, it, the, the same kind of investments that you buy in an RSP or a TFSA or an RESP, you can also buy with an FHSA, and that's the advantage of it. Is that is that you can allow it just like an RSP to basically grow uh, tax sheltered. But the kicker of the FHSA is, uh, first of all, the, your your contributions are deductible, just like an RSP. However, your your withdrawals are tax free, like a TFSA, as long as when you withdraw draw the money, you are using the money for a down payment of the purchase of, again, what the government considers okay. as a first home. I didn't realize it was that double dip situation where you also get the, where you also get the tax deduction on your contributions. That, that's huge. 
That's absolutely huge. Yes, because it's and just to just to just to say what the limit is going to be, it's going to be eight thousand per year, and it's forty thousand lifetime. The catch, though, is that you have to create your account in order to start accumulating your limit. That's the catch. Well, with an RSP, whether you have an account or not, uh, you can accumulate it in either case. But that it's really the best of both worlds. You're getting the deduction of an RSP. You're getting the tax-free withdrawal of the TFSA. But again, there's a there's a big if. There's a big catch. The catch is that it has to be for the down payment of what the government considers as a first home. If you withdraw for any other reason, it becomes a taxable withdrawal. But then you have to claim that every year at tax time, right? Like to, to pay it back? Uh, uh, no, that, that's, that's what you're mentioning there is like the home buyer's plan. Okay. Uh, the home buyer's plan, uh, yes, you would have to, within, you have to do it in 15 installments, meaning within 15 years you have to pay it back, you know, uh, basically in 15 installments. Because uh, the home buyer's plan is essentially a loan. So you're basically borrowing from your RSP in order to do a down payment of, uh, of the purchase of your first home, and then you're paying it back throughout over 15 years. That's not the case for an FHSA. That's the beauty of it, is that it is basically no catch. There's no strings attached. As long as when you're withdrawing the money, you're using it for the purchase of a first home, it is completely tax-free. That's the advantage of an FHSA. And the other, the other beauty about it as well is that you could also do transfers between the accounts. So, for example, uh, if you've got a lot of funds in your RSP, you can start transferring these funds into your FHSA, but you're capped at $8,000 per year. But the beauty of it is when you're, ready to, uh, when you're ready to purchase your home, now you're withdrawing on a tax-free basis. Well, with a home buyer's plan, you have to pay it back. Yeah, and I, I thank you for the clarification on that. I, I brought that, bring that up because uh, I currently, uh, that's one of the reasons why I hate tax time because it's sort of the annual reminder of past failure uh, with the home buyer's plan <laughs> when I do the taxes, uh, uh, but I won't get into that. Uh, before we let you go, Jerry Vitoratos with uh, UFILE, National Tax Specialist. Uh, any new deductions? This year? So, so I mean, uh, what's called? Well, the FHSA is a deduction, right? That's right. what it would be. Uh, the other one I would say that's really interesting, again, related to home, and it's actually a credit. It's a refundable credit. It's what's called the multi-generational home renovation tax credit. So this one is a refundable credit, meaning, again, whether you're taxable or not, the government is going to pay you this credit in cash, essentially, uh, is that if you, make, if you do uh, renovations for your, to, in order to create a secondary dwelling for a relative, that is either to, in order to house a relative that is either 65 and above or uh, 18, and, 18 and over with a disability, you can now claim those renovation expenses in this new credit. The key, though, is that it has to be a secondary dwelling, meaning that it has to have, for example, it's a self-contained unit, meaning it's got to have a kitchen, it's got to have a bedroom, and it's got to have its own exit as well. As long as you meet that criteria, your renovation expenses become eligible if they are capped up to $50,000 that you can claim, and the credit is 15% of those expenses. So that's quite interesting because we're starting, especially when you see the rise of home prices right now and what's happened since the pandemic, uh, you know, it, this kind of credit becomes interesting because now you could, instead of uh, buying a bigger home, you could simply make an extension to your home and now you could actually claim those expenses. Yeah, it makes it marketable down the road as well once, uh, once you move on from it. Lots of benefits there. And uh, Jerry, we appreciate your time as always. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Be one of our listeners, Robert, said this morning, Jerry mentioned the carbon tax credit. Found $123 in his account this morning that he wasn't necessarily expecting today. So you might be in the same boat, Brett. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Oh, I just said, I was wondering how long it would, say, how long it would take me to say that. I heard it. But it didn't raise any alarm bells for me. Yeah. I, I just said we were just in our news meeting and a bunch of people asked me how I'm doing, how we're doing this morning without Loren. I said, well, I don't know if I was more shocked to not see her between 4 and 4.30 this morning or to go out and see her sitting at her desk. It's like, oh, yeah, you still work here. <laughs> <laughs> in case you missed it on Friday and you're just tuning in this morning. Loren McNabb has taken on a leadership role here at 680 CJOB. She is now the station's executive producer, which means she is no longer a co-host of The Start. So henceforth, 
It's the start with Mackling and McGarry. Question of the day at CJOB.com before we say hello to our next guest to talk sports and about something special that's happening this afternoon on CJOB. Question of the day for Mr. Furness. Don't call him first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. What are you going to be doing while we have these cold temperatures? And we have 62% say staying warm inside. Mm-hmm. 28% say watching the sports going on. Jets, NFL, curling, Etc. And 11% said doing something outside, skiing, sledding, skating, walking, etc. We're actually going to talk about winter activities at 9.05. Steve Lambert, who we spoke to at 8.05, Canadian Press, is quite the sports person, mm-hmm. very active. He has a pledge with one of his friends, he told me, to run outdoors 100 kilometers every winter month from November through March. Oh, yeah? It's a packed 100 kilometers outdoors. Um, what? Like like a year? No, 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 no. Every cold weather month. Wow, yeah. good for him. How mm-hmm. many days a week is he out there running? I don't know what he's what he has to do. This as long as he gets his hundred k's in. Well, good for him. Yeah, I, I don't mind the walking, but the running, no thanks. Uh, so we'll talk more about winter activities at nine oh five. But in the meantime, it was quite the sports weekend. Winnipeg Jets in action on Saturday night. Of course, not the results we have. Become accustomed to. That's right. The Jets' eight-game win streak was halted, as was their team record point streak. Jim Toth, co-host of Jets at Noon and host of Jim Toth Show, joins us now. Jim, two streaks end, but one very impressive streak continues. Should we take solace in the fact that the Jets continue to not let very many goals into their own net, even when they lose? I believe we should. Good morning, gentlemen, and thanks for having me once again. I was going to be Brett McGarry's best friend in high school and go, you got to move on, pal. She gone. you got to just let it go. But we'll talk sports instead because she's just down the hall right now. It's okay. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I, I am. I mean, I, it was funny because I thought, okay, they were bound to lose it at some point. Um, I think a lot of people were really nervous about Chicago because Chicago is in a very good team. And, and I was wondering if they'd lost that game, uh, what the reaction would be. I didn't get a lot of it, but I did get a little bit of how did the Jets lose to Philadelphia? What was going on with them? And um, that's the, f- the fandom that's around this team this year. It was bound to happen. To me, they look like a team that was playing like their ninth game or 10th game or whatever it was in 15, 16 days. I thought they looked that way in Chicago, too, to play 9-11 and 11 is, is a really tough ask, and now the schedule opens up a bit. But I, I, I wouldn't panic about anything. I, I think the idea, that what you touched on, Greg, is what the focus on. They lost the game, but they still haven't allowed more than three goals in a game in 32 games in a row, and that's something. The record, by the way, is 35 set by the Minnesota Wild. So um, we'll see what they can get done tomorrow night against the Islanders, and then they have Ottawa. It's funny that 35th game comes against you know Boston and then Toronto after that and Toronto again. So it's a tough part of the schedule um, with the teams that are coming up, but uh, I think that there's a lot of solace in the fact that this is the first time they've had two days off in a row in a while. They're going to get some practice time. Mark Shifley can get healthy. Kyle Connor gets closer to his return. So I wouldn't take too much out of the loss on Saturday, other than the fact that, you know, they didn't score. And when you don't score, you can't win. That's what Gabe Velarde said in the postgame show. But I think this streak of three goals or less going into the 30s games in a row is something to, to hang your hat on and be proud of. Now, the Jets record has earned Jets head coach Rick Bonus, a.k.a. Bones, an all-star nod. Is that the first time for Bones, Jim? I believe it is. It's the first time in his National Hockey League career, and, and it's, I think, into four decades now um, that he has uh, been, been to the All-Star Games. So I think it's quite the honor. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of All-Star Games and, and festivities, and, and the, the players that were voted in, it's no disrespect for them, but you have a team like the Jets who are sitting second in the National Hockey League and only have one player there. But it's for the fans, right? And it's in Toronto, and a lot more Toronto players are going to get voted in than and Vancouver because of population than than Winnipeg Jets fans. But that being said, for a coach to get the nod, it means you're having a really good season. And for a coach like Rick Bonus at at this age and this part of his career to go to his first game, I think he is a is a feather in not only his cap but Winnipeg Jets like. People forget that they were hot and heavy after Barry Trotz, and, and Barry hummed and hawed around and decided that it wasn't for him, and lo and behold, ended up in Nashville. And they, they gave Rick a call, and Rick said, you know, I'm, I, he had a couple calls to be an assistant coach of the National Hockey League last year, and he turned him down. He said, I think at our age, to be an assistant or to start with a team that's rebuilding, 
that's not for me. I, I don't want to be doing this for another five or six years. And then Winnipeg called and, and he liked the crew and, and he thought he saw what they're doing right now. He thought that they could get to a Stanley cup and he thought that they could do some damage in the playoffs or he wouldn't have taken the job to take it in that perspective and then see that he gets his first all-star nomination. I think is just a great story, but a credit to the organization and a credit to Rick bonus for getting him and the team into this position. Yeah. Especially when you realize that it felt like it may be a little dicey, the relationship between some of the star players and, and bonus following their oh, ouster yeah. from the playoffs last year, right the, now, the Jim traveled, right? Like I've always said on jets at noon, I would love to see the book from last April to the end of September this year and the distance traveled. Um, we also are how it ended, but that that's the other part of Rick, right? Like Rick in, in his four decades in hockey has evolved, has changed, has become a better coach, but he is who he is and he's a straight shooter and he'll tell you how he feels. And he did. And, and, not, and to the point of not only telling you how he feels, Greg, but as you know, that three days later, okay, I'll address that. Maybe I went too far. Like he's, he's really a good man that way and a good coach to go. I stand by what I said, but I could have said it in a different way even take hockey out of it. That takes a lot to do as a man, you know, and as a, as a person, as a woman, anybody that, that owns their stuff, but also sticks to their guns. And and so I just think it's a really good story for Rick to be around the game this long and to get his first all-star nod. I got to get a couple minutes from you on this. Uh, Kansas city, our friend hustler Patterson uh, drove down to KC to sit in that freezer, otherwise known as Arrowhead stadium on Saturday night. Then of course, Western New York was supposed to see Steelers, bills yesterday that game's been postponed to this afternoon with still some conversation i'm seeing maybe they don't even play today that they might have to move it till tomorrow obviously that's just conjecture and speculation right now but what's your take on the some of the some of the social media uh, in particular with the the move of the game from sunday to monday in buffalo i cannot get over some of the anger being expressed over the fact that this this game was rescheduled well, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of twofold on this. Like, we're from Canada, right? We love the CFL. I love the NFL just as much as the Canadian Football League. So some snow, some cold, I think that adds to the storyline of a playoff game. But first and foremost, you have to keep people safe. And then with the National Football League, and especially in the Buffalo area, you have to keep people safe getting to the game, right? Like, it's not just about the cold temps they're going to endure while they're at it, but the traffic getting to there, from there. We're talking about probably eighty to 90,000 people gathering somewhere or getting out on the road. So if it's you have to think of safety first secondly then you have to think of them at the game and is it too cold and what kind of game you're going to have i don't think these decisions were made because all the quality of the game might be affected i think they were made for safety so i'm all for it i I understand people want the game they're amped up i mean i was glued to that game in detroit last night and i'm a bears fan i could care less about detroit i think it's funny how futile they've been um but Having said that, that's a great story. And and playoffs, we see the the magnitude of it. Um, You mentioned Husser drove all the way to Kansas City to catch his beloved Chiefs in the cold. So uh, there's two folds to it. But but I think they're not postponing it to get a better game. They're postponing it to keep people safe. And I think that's the right decision to do every time. And indeed, they uh, they bills paid a group of about eighty five people twenty bucks an hour to shovel snow and try to clear out Buffalo's Highmark Stadium. We could have done that, Abe McGarry. I was thinking, hey, if it's on a Sunday and I was in the area, I can make some extra scratch. Why not? Before we let you go, Jim, of course, we got to talk about what's happening on your show this afternoon at two o'clock. A special show uh, in conjunction with Blue Monday, and that is called Coping with Yona Bud and Doctor Gans Ferrance. Yeah, we're going to do a live call-in show for the hour, and, and we'll take texts as well, 780-6868. But because it's Blue Monday, and I listened to Yona Butt after the Jets post game on Saturday, and he was pretty amped up about, you know, let, let's not make this Blue Monday. Despite how you're feeling, despite what you may be going through, let's have a conversation. Let's let's try to make everybody understand that whatever they're dealing with is okay and, and get to the bottom of it. So they're two professionals. Yona Butt is a performance coach, and Dr. Ferentz is a, a registered psychologist. 
whatever you're going through, if you are feeling blue and it doesn't have to be about today, if you, you've been dealing with some things, you know, um, for a while now or, or not looking forward to something and it's, it's bringing you down, let's have those conversations and, and hopefully get you some help to feeling better and to make blue Monday. Uh, you know, it can be blue Monday. It doesn't have to feel like a blue Monday. So we're going to see if we can help some people for an hour at two o'clock today. All right. More Jets talk Jets at noon. Levitan in for Poitras. Levitan Toth Toth. Jim Toth was that special show, uh, two till three today. But of course, tune in at one o'clock. Jim Toth every Monday through Friday. Uh, thanks, partner. Talk to you later. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoy the day. You're sounding great. All right, Jim Toth joining us live on 680 CJOB. And I'm going to have to ask a couple more questions here. But listener Paul says, I was at the KC game too, Kansas City. Ooh. Can confirm it was chilly. And I even got to hold the flag and stand at center field for the anthem. <laughs> what? He's just sent a picture. <laughs> Somebody in the stands uh, has, so it's like the big flag in the middle of the field, and they, they've written and drawn in an arrow that says, I've seen Paul. this now. So I don't know what the story is here, Paul, but that's pretty cool. Tell us more, Paul. A friend is a season ticket holder, says Paul, and you can bid on a spot for points. That's cool. That's unbelievable. What an experience. Paul, that's that's terrific. Mackling and McGarry, we're asking you this morning about Winnipeg Jets tickets for grabs. We are wanting to know, is there a movie or a show you like to revisit, but only at a certain time of year? For me, it's The Grey. I watched it over the weekend because it's a movie set in winter. I like to watch it on a cold night in January. So that's what I did. One of our runners up here, Carol in North K, says, I would have... This is surprising because Carol strikes me as like, you know, this sweet woman. And then she says, I'd have to say Kill Bill! One and two at Halloween. I don't usually like gore in movies, but Uma Thurman and her quest for justice makes it necessary. (laughs) Well, I think she's right. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you compromise your principles. Carol, loving this movie. Good job, Carol. And then David O. We had a couple of people mention this. Our must-watch movie is one we watch every Thanksgiving, even though it's based on Thanksgiving in the States. It's still so much fun to watch. And, of course, it does have a Canadian mm-hmm. thread in it with the funny and hilarious John Candy. We're talking, of course, about planes, trains, and automobiles. I enjoy that movie still. It still makes me laugh. Oh, it's timeless. Yeah. Timeless. Uh, Going to jump ahead here to Don before we read our winner, Greg. And uh, Don says, every May long weekend, I watch Sink the Bismarck, as it was that time of year when the ship was scuttled due to extensive battle damage. I also watch Tora, Tora, Tora every December 7th and Midway on June 5th. All three movies relate to historical events and having been in the Navy, I watch them on or around the dates the events occurred. So Don, thanks for that. Uh, took that a little, little different way, but that reminded me how... I try to, uh, every 9-11, watch that movie United 93 before I then rewatch the Come From Away musical that is uh, you can watch on Apple TV+. Plus. Nice balancing out of that uh, story that changed all of our lives. And Don, I don't know if I ever realized that you served in the Navy. So thank you for your service, my friend. But Greg, our winner this morning is Bob. I am a bit of a sports guy. Yeah, no kidding. With uh, the name that he has, uh, you'll see why in a sec. Sports guy, like to ride the wave of a classic and awesome movie heading into hockey and golf seasons. In November, I need to watch Slapshot every year to get ready for the new season. I am a Philadelphia Flyers fan, and this best reflects the Broad Street Bullies of the 1970s when we, in quotation marks, last won the cup. In March, have to watch Caddyshack to prepare for life on the link. So many classic scenes, which... Spur me on to the quest for scratch golf. Uh, Not, says Bob Clark. Uh, On our beautiful uh, Manitoba courses, have to watch these two movies every year with no exception. Yeah, Bob Clark, Bobby Clark, Philadelphia. Like, could you cheer for any other team? So Bob is our winner this morning. Gets the Jets tickets for tomorrow, although... Bob, I think, lives in Brandon, so we need to check if if he can make it in. So if he didn't win... But your name was maybe mentioned earlier. Hang tight. So, and we also have tickets to give away on Connecting Winnipeg with Hal Anderson, as well as Jets at Noon and on the news today for the Jets game tomorrow night against the Islanders. Before we introduce our next guest, we should mention we have Winnipeg Jets tickets up for grabs. And Greg, 
Who did we name our winner today? Bob Clark, not surprisingly, a Philadelphia Flyers fan, fan of the Goon Hawk, I mean, of the Broad Street Bullies. <laughs> okay. Of course, the Flyers beat the Jets Saturday. Don't get me started on all that. Yeah. So Bob lives in Brandon, Manitoba, and can't make it to the game tomorrow night. So that means we got to pick another winner. So we will uh, let you know who is going to get those tickets. Hal Anderson, the host of Connecting Winnipeg, joins us in our next segment to tee up what's coming up on his show. And we're excited to introduce our next guest, who we haven't actually had in studio, I think, since the before times, if I'm if I'm thinking right, Mackling, yeah? I would uh, concur with your assessment. All right. So it, what, what we're talking about today is how the last three weeks have been a really exciting time for Indigenous representation in the MCU. That's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most recently, with last week's release, it dropped on Tuesday all five episodes of a show called Echo. Tigers move in silence to catch their prey. You are a tiger, Maya. What did you do? Studios Echo. So in that clip, you heard the voice of the Kingpin, played by Vincent D'Onofrio. But the star of the show is a woman named Alacqua Cox. She plays Maya Lopez, who is deaf, who is an amputee, missing part of her right leg. And she actually is deaf and an amputee in real life. That's not just her character. And she is an indigenous Latin American. And the show features a number of indigenous actors, many of whom are Canadian, including a Winnipegger. We don't need to, de- to get too deep in the weeds on what the show's about. You can learn more about that on the most recent episode of The Couch Potatoes. Uh, there was also an episode in season two of a recent show called What If, which aired in December, where an animated show where they created for the first time a new character specifically for the MCU i.e. not adapted from any of the comics, and that character also indigenous. And in both shows, Marvel worked closely with the Choctaw Nation on Echo and the Mohawk Nation on What If to get it right. Well, here's the question we have. Did they get it right? David A. Robertson is an indigenous author with whom we like to speak whenever we can, and we found our latest excuse to bring him on. A belated happy birthday, first and foremost, David. Thank you, sir. Good to see you as always. So did they Did they get it right here? Yeah, absolutely, I think. I think it's like, you know, I, in the world of literature, um, I always talk about how to go about writing par- proper stories, um, especially when you're writing about someone who is living outside your lived experience. Um, and you got to consult, and you got to research, and you got to put in the work, and... I think in this case, you know, the MCU really did that. You know, they I think they worked with the Choctaw Nation. I did a little, a little bit of uh, reading in the background. Um, they involved the right people. I also think, you know, representation beyond is beyond just the uh, actors. You know, they, they worked with, um, they had people on the crew. They had writers who were Indigenous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you do stuff like that, um, that's what Reservation Dogs did. Um, and involving a Mohawk actor like Devery Jacobs, to play um, the new character in the What If, um, a Moha, who is a Mohawk character, is incredible. I think you know you're seeing this more and more ha- happening, more and more, where um, you know people are getting a, a good idea about how to go about writing diverse characters, and um, and it's a really good change to see because every time you see a character that's drawn or a story that's written that uh, has proper, accurate representation, um, it it undoes some of the damage that has been done historically with. Uh, a lot of the stereotypes that have been happen happened across multimedia. So what does it mean to have this kind of representation in something as big as the juggernaut that is the MCU? Well, it's huge, especially because it was done so well. Um, and, and not only because of how it informs and educates um, you know, non-Indigenous viewers, um, but I, I think about, and just like you know, with uh, Lily Gladstone winning Best Actress at the Golden Globes, um, you you think about all the kids that are out there watching, um, even though this is you know this is a violent show. So you, I had someone I had someone message me on Twitter and they're like, should I, should I like let my grade seven kid uh, watch <laughs> this? And I was like, that's your your call. It's, I mean, it's a little little violent, but um, I think about all the kids watching the show and how that will impact them, the indigenous kids, um, and just seeing themselves reflected in such a powerful way. Um, and not only that, but seeing actresses and actors who are. Um, doing so well um, who are indigenous and thinking like I can do that too. And that is like um, profoundly 
powerful. Um, to, to, and we see that in literature. We see that in, in, in television. We see that in movies. It's incredible. I was just going to ask you, and you're traveling a ton these days, and you're getting out and you're getting in, in front of young people. You're getting out in front of aspiring authors and, and, and young people who are aspiring to, to do big things. Are you comfortable with the idea that you might be inspiring some of that, David? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't ever like to think of myself in that way. I mean, objectively, I think that there's probably been a kid or two who's seen what I've been able to accomplish, lucky enough, lucky enough as it is, um, and maybe thinks thinks that they can also write a book. Um, and I think that does have an impact. Um, but you know, I, I know that I'm one of many, many, many um, people who are who are indigenous who are um, finding the success and are having that sort of impact on the youth. And that's where you need to really focus is on, on the youth. And, um, and it inspires youth, it empowers youth, and it shows them a path to do things that they maybe, maybe didn't think was possible before. And that is like, um, that's what's really going to create profound, lasting change over the long term. It's really, it's really an exciting time, uh, especially over the last you know, 10, 15 years um, that I've been doing this uh, work in, in, in the literature world, You've seen this in, this incredible movement, this renaissance, Richard Van Camp says, in the arts, um, in Indigenous artists. It's it's very very exciting. Our guest is David A. Robertson, and we're talking about the recent Indigenous representation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most recently, in a show called Echo, which debuted just this past week. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts were on the final episode because. I, like one of the things that I like, like they, uh, I don't know if you watched the show that came out last year or the year before called Ms. Marvel, where the, the main character's name is Kamala Khan and, and uh, we're introduced to her and her Pakistani family. And we learned, we get, so I got to learn all kinds of stuff about their culture, which I thought was cool. So one of the things I like when they introduce them, they bring in this kind of diversity or representation, it's just the opportunity to learn and to appreciate other cultures. And I was like moved to tears in that final episode. So uh, what what was your take on it? I was also crying <laughs> quite a bit. I remember, like, I was sitting there on Saturday with, with my phone. Um, I just got home from Toronto, and I <laughs> maybe a bit of it was the ordeal of getting home, my tears. But uh, <laughs> but I was sitting there watching the final episode on just on the couch in my in my living room, and I was bawling. And, and not only because it was such a well-written episode – but just the just the wealth of representation you have, like you know, a person with a disability, um, you know, an amputee, uh, a deaf actor, um, an indigenous actor. Um, it happens during a powwow um, that's done in cons- consultation with the right people. I, I was seeing all the representation and this beautiful moment with like a Winnipeg actor, Katarina Zervogel, um, and and Echo, and um, it was it just was really. I just, I kind of, I think that the, the the beautiful weight of it all was like, look at what I'm watching here, and like I never would have expected to see this like even a decade ago. It was very emotional, and not, not only just the episode itself, but just like what it means. I think I, I was really, uh, I was, I kind of like couldn't see. I was I had so much tears in my eyes. There are people who are intent in getting in the way of what's happening right now, right? These these stories and representation and and that four letter word woke. People suggesting that, you know, this is the part of the woke agenda and, and we have to, you know, why do we have to uh, custom craft these stories and even alter them in some circumstances in order to represent? Well, I think you and I could have the conversation without any difficulty, but when you, when you butt up against that, it's got to be, it's got to be driving you crazy to think that, that you can't go down this road of as you say, righting some wrongs and, and, and building a better path for the future. And people are somehow against this approach to it. I mean, that'll always happen. I think, you know, people always try and get in the way or just like complain about it, you know, because it goes beyond their comfort zone, you know. And, um, and I was actually, it's funny enough, before I was waiting to come up here, I was reading an article where it's like, is this too woke, this show, <laughs> you know? And it's not. What it is, it's recognizing the diversity in our communities, it's recognizing that we have people in our communities that aren't just like straight white citizens, you know, like, and there, there are straight white citizens in this community and they're great, um, but there are indigenous people, there's black people, there's people from the LGBT community, there's, there's uh, dis- people with disabilities, there's, I mean, and, and, and it's not woke to say that we want characters that represent the diversity in our community. It just says that we see you. 
and and you are just as worthy to be a character in a show as anybody else. And we're going to put in the work to do it properly. And uh, and that you know it helps everybody. So I mean, you're always going to have detractors. That's never it's, it's never going to be really avoided. Um, but over time, you're going to see more and more people, especially because it comes from the youth, who are going to um, support um, these stories far more than those who are going to complain about them. Got to ask you, just representation aside, you like Marvel stuff. What, how would you grade this show overall? I thought it was excellent. You know, I, objectively, just like a, from a storytelling perspective, I thought it was one of the better Marvel shows, uh, Marvel series. Um, I really like Loki too. I, I love Miss Marvel as well. I thought it was, I thought it was really an underrated show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. Like I, I had just like beyond just like feeling emotional watching the representation. I had fun watching the show. Like it was just a, it was an awesome show about this. Like you know, I don't know how to say. I don't want to. I want to swear. Did I say badass? Oh, I said it already. But like this, like this, like badass character who's like who's like so you know has so much agency and so much power and like who is like in control of her own story. And um, it just was an awesome. It was an awesome story. It was an awesome series. Um, I want to see more of it, and I want to see more series like it. So yeah, I thought it was like it was just a good show. Sometimes there's just only one way you can describe something, and. You know, you just got to use that word or those two words together. Uh, <laughs> Reservation Dogs, I have to see it, yes or no? Oh, it's the best show. Honestly, like it's the best show that I have ever seen. Um, and you have to watch it. Everybody has to watch it. Um, they, they ended it like right when they had to. Um, it's very quick to binge, um, but it is it is almost a perfect show. And, um, and everybody needs to watch that show. Uh, and a lot of people, <laughs> it's almost like, you know, Echo was almost like a Reservation Dogs <laughs> part two because there's so many people from that show on Echo. But um, it's it was incredible. Yeah, everybody watched, watched Reservation Dogs. It was it was an amazing television show. And before we get out, and you can bring up the music forte, but David A. Robertson, you, you're writing a book about representation, right? I am. I'm writing a book about um, the historical and contemporary representation of Indigenous people in comics. So I'm really looking forward to, do, to doing that. That should be out in a couple of years. All right, David A. Robertson. He is an amazing author. Thank you so much for joining. Good to see you again. It's been uh, several years. Thanks, boys. It's great to see you.